If you ever thought about starting your own podcast, you should check out Riverside. Riverside is an online recording studio that lets you record podcasts and video in studio quality from anywhere. And if you click on the affiliated link in the episode description and you buy a subscription, you will also be supporting the podcast. And if you are going to start your own podcast or you just want to continue to listen to great podcasts, you're going to need headphones or speakers. If you click on the Amazon affiliated link, you can get great deals on headphones and speakers. And if you make a purchase, it will also help support the podcast. And if you ever want to read a book I have mentioned on this podcast, I now have an affiliated link for Bookshop. All the affiliated links that I mentioned will be in the episode description for this episode. This is just a reminder that this podcast has merch and a Patreon, and if you could contribute to one of those to help keep this podcast going, I would greatly appreciate it. When you picture a king, I'm sure you picture someone graceful, well-mannered, well-groomed, regal, maybe a little power-hungry, and most certainly a man. While that last bit may fit the subject of this week's episode, the other stuff, not so much. Hi, my name is Courtney Jewell, and you are listening to the ninth episode of the fourth season of History Shelf, a podcast about history that proves that sometimes fact is even more interesting than fiction. We are in Season 4 of History Shelf, and it is titled, They Are a Rainbow. This season of History Shelf, I will be covering each week a historical figure that was a part of the LGBTQIA community. These were people that, during their time, they had to hide a part of their identity from the world. So while I fully believe that those who were out and proud in their lifetime, even if it had the potential to cost them everything, deserve to be praised and recognized, those are not the people that I will be covering this season. I am covering the ones that were made to love in the shadows, the ones that had to lie to most or all of the people around them. Now I know that sexual orientation and gender identity are complex. And some of the terms that I will use to describe these subjects were not around in some of their lifetimes. So, some of these subjects obviously would not have used the same words to describe themselves as I will be using. But I don't want to get too hung up on my wording. I just want to celebrate a part of these individuals that in their time there was pressure all around them to feel shame about. I want to focus on that love and gender are not black and white. They are rainbow. And for this week, I am talking about Queen Christina of Sweden. Today, I'm going to talk to you about someone that I've wanted to cover for a while now. I have talked about the list of people that I want to cover on this podcast, and that list is ever-growing. And I'm really excited about this season because I'm knocking three people off of that list. I've already covered Edward II, now we're doing Christina of Sweden, and there's going to be 
somebody else on that list, but I'm not going to get them until much later on in this season. They are going to be the 11th person that I'm going to cover. We'll talk more about them whenever we get there. But I want to make it known that just because I find someone's story really interesting, it doesn't necessarily mean that I endorse everything that they did. So just because I'm covering Christina of Sweden doesn't mean that I'm calling her a saint or that I'm excusing some of her behavior because some of her behavior was just downright shitty and there's really no other way to put it. But again, I still find her story to be interesting and I hope that you do too. And that goes for every person that I've covered on this podcast. I think that I've covered some generally good people. But I also think that I've covered some generally bad people. And I think most of them probably fall in the gray like most people do. So I just wanted that to be known before I get fully started with this episode. So let's get into it. Christina Augusta was born on December 8th, 1626 at Tria Kronor Castle in Stockholm, Sweden. And I almost said Stockholm Syndrome. And I'm curious about how many times that's almost going to happen during this episode. She was born with a call. And what that means is that the fetus was encased in an ambiotic sac. She was born into the house of Vasa. Her father was King Gustavus II Adolphus of Sweden, and her mother was Maria Eleonora of Brandenburg. Now, as we go along, you are going to learn that Christina's gender was ambiguous. She may have been a transgender man, but because we don't know for sure, I will be using the pronouns she, her to refer to Christina. Because Christina wrote an autobiography, and in that autobiography, she referred to herself as she, her. So, I will be doing the same. But, just note that there is a possibility that she was a transgender man, or she may have been non-binary. But, for this episode, her pronouns are going to be she, her. So, her gender and sex was ambiguous since birth. When she was born, her nurses thought that she was a boy. That's actually what they announced. It's possible that they thought this because she was a really hairy baby and she had a big nose and she had a loud, deep voice. And it was dark when she was delivered. There's also a possibility that her genitalia was swollen and so that's why they thought that she was a boy. But it's also possible that Christina may have been intersex. Now, we know that Christina had her period, but intersex people can menstruate. Christina's bones have been examined to determine whether or not Christina was intersex, but it was not conclusive, but it is still a possibility. When Christina's nurses figured out that Christina did not have male genitalia, they were terrified. They didn't know how they were going to tell the king. The king had been sick, and you know, you're not your best self when you got a cold. And the king had a temper, and he was desperate for a male heir. 
Gustavus and Maria Eleonora had struggled to have a healthy baby. They had a stillborn daughter in 1621. They had another daughter in 1623. Her name was also Christina. She only lived for one year, though. And they had a stillborn son that was born in May of 1625. Gustavus had a son named Gustav, and he was 10 years old, but he was a son that Gustavus had with his royal mistress, Marguerite de Slots, so he was illegitimate, so he couldn't be the heir. That put a lot of pressure on Maria Eleonora to produce an heir. Everyone was very nervous to tell the king that his long-awaited for son was actually a girl. And I think that I have covered enough royalty on this podcast for you to know how dangerous it can be for you to anger a king or queen. But they knew that they were going to have to tell him sometime. So they waited one day, and then his half-sister Catherine presented Christina to him and showed him that his son was actually his daughter. And he was pretty cool about it. He was happy to have a daughter. And he said, quote, she'll be clever. She has made fools of us all, end quote. King Henry VIII should have been a little bit more like Gustavus. Now, Christina's mother wasn't as attached to Christina as her father was. Maria Eleonora's response to Christina being a girl was more of a King Henry VIII response. She was very disappointed that Christina wasn't born a boy. She was hysterical, and she didn't show Christina much affection. Christina had one shoulder that was higher than the other one, and Christina made two claims about this. One was that her mother dropped her on purpose. And the other one was that assassins from a rival nation dropped her. And that's what caused her shoulder to be higher than the other one. Which one is true? Who knows? There's a possibility that both of them were complete bullshit. So take what I just told you with a grain of salt. Because it came from Christina. Christina's father made sure that her mother didn't influence Christina's upbringing much because he saw Maria Eleonora as being unstable and he didn't want that to be passed on to Christina. Gustavus and Maria Eleonora didn't have any more children after Christina and Gustavus didn't have any more illegitimate children either. So Christina's older illegitimate half-brother was the only living sibling that she had. Christina's father made her his heir, and he wanted her to be treated like a prince. That included getting the education that a prince would get. Gustavus left for Germany in June of 1630 to defend Protestantism during the Thirty Years' War. I talked about the Thirty Years' War last week on the King James the Sixth and First Part Four episode, but I only briefly talked about it because it really didn't play that big of a role in what I was telling you about. But it plays a bigger role in this episode, so I'm going to go more in depth here. 
The Thirty Years' War started with a series of conflicts in the early 17th century in the Holy Roman Empire. It started as a fight between Protestants and Catholics, but it didn't take long for it to become a struggle for political power. So, like I said last week, the war started in Bohemia, when Bohemia gave Ferdinand II to the boot, and they put Frederick V on the throne. German and Spanish forces joined together to defeat Bohemian forces, and Ferdinand II was crowned king. This wasn't enough for Ferdinand, though. He was like, let's wipe out Protestantism completely. And you know who didn't like that? Protestants. Shocking, I know. So, this made Protestant rulers of other European countries raise an eyebrow, and they were like, what did that motherfucker just say? So then, other countries got involved. When Ferdinand signed the Edict of Restitution that forced all Protestants to give up any Catholic property acquired since 1555, Gustavus thought that it was time for Sweden to enter the chat. When he was gone, Maria Eleanor was devastated. She begged for him to come home. It was eventually decided that she would go to him in Germany. When he left the camp, Maria Eleanor wrote to Axel Gustafsson Oxenhanna, he was the Lord High Chancellor of Sweden. She wrote to him that without the king, she was nothing. I am no doctor, and it's really hard to diagnose people from the past, but I wonder if she wasn't suffering from postpartum depression, or at least some form of depression. It has been suggested that she may have inherited mental illness from both sides of her family. And to come to her defense, during this time, she had really been through it. She had been pregnant four times, and three of those pregnancies ended in either a stillborn birth, or the baby died shortly after birth. She had also been experiencing other deaths around her. She had lost some siblings during this time, and her mother died. And all of this made her form an unhealthy attachment to her husband. On November 6, 1632, Gustavus died at the Battle of Lixen. Maria Eleanor was absolutely devastated. She did not want him to be buried in her lifetime. She demanded that his coffin remain open and she would go and check on him regularly. She had his heart put in a gold casket, and she had that gold casket in an altar above her bed. Axel, the Lord High Chancellor of Sweden, managed to get Gustavus interred in Rita Holman Church on June 22, 1634. Guards had to be posted by the grave because Maria Eleonora tried to dig him up. Gustavus's death made the almost six-year-old Christina now the ruler of Sweden. Christina is called a queen, but in Sweden the word queen only means the wife of the king. So Christina was called king in her lifetime. Sweden elects their kings, and at first they didn't know what they were going to do with Christina because they had never had a girl king before. But eventually they decided to elect her king. Since she was young, she needed a regent, and that was Axel. 
if Gustavus died when Christina was still a child, then he wanted Christina to be raised by his half-sister Catherine of Sweden. And his half-brother, Carl Gyllenhaal, was to be the regent. But Maria Eleanor didn't like that idea. Even though she didn't want much to do with Christina before Gustavus' death, after his death, her attitude changed. She wanted to be more hands-on, but that only lasted until 1636. In 1636, Maria Eleanor lost her parental rights. The Upper Parliamentary House said that they came to that conclusion because Maria Eleanor had neglected Christina when she was younger. Axel decided that it would be best to exile her to Gripsholm Castle, and the Regency Council would decide when Maria Eleanor could see Christina. But Maria Eleanor hated Sweden. No offense to my Swedish listeners. I'm sure Sweden is lovely, but Maria Eleanor just wasn't a fan. She wanted to go to Denmark. In 1639, she sent a letter to Sweden's arch enemy, King Christian IV of Denmark, but it was intercepted. Maria Eleanor pleaded with Christina in 1640, but Christina knew that the council would not let her mother leave the country. Christina asked her mother to come visit her in Stockholm, and they both snuck out of a window at night. They were then rowed in a boat to the other side of a lake. On the other side of the lake, there was a carriage waiting for them. Then they boarded a Danish ship. King Christian IV intended for the ship to take Maria Eleanor home to Brandenburg, but Maria Eleanor talked the captain into taking her to Denmark. When she got to Denmark, she then decided that she wanted to go back home to Brandenburg, but her brother, George William, refused to take her back. So she was stuck in Denmark for a while. George wanted Sweden to take care of her, and the council didn't want to do that. In December of 1640, George died and her nephew, Frederick William, became the new elector of Brandenburg. He allowed Maria Eleanor to come home, but Frederick also wanted Sweden to take care of her financially. Sweden ended up paying a small pension of 30,000 EQ a year. In 1638, Christina's foster mother and aunt Catherine of Sweden died of the plague. She was 54 years old. Axel said that he would have rather had buried his mother twice than once again see Catherine die a premature death. Which I think says a lot about who Catherine was as a person. And maybe says some things about Axel's mother. And maybe some things about Axel as well. Axel then decided that it would be a good idea to give Christina two foster mothers so she wasn't relying on one for everything, and if one died, then she would still have one. He made Ebba Leonhoven and Christina Naltadag her foster mothers slash governesses. Ebba got her job because she was Axel's son's mother-in-law. Beata Oxahana and Ebba Renning became Christina's ladies-in-waiting. Both of the women had connections to Axel, and that's how they got their jobs. Christina did not form a bond with any of these ladies, which was part of Axel's plan. He didn't want her to get too attached to any of them. 
When Christina wrote about them in her autobiography, the only thing that she had to say about them was to brag about how she was more masculine than them. Christina had a fascination with two people. One is a person that I have already covered on this podcast, and the other one is one that I most certainly will cover on a future season. And they are Season 1 alumni Queen Elizabeth I and Alexander the Great. I feel like Queen Elizabeth I comes up in almost every single episode that I do in some way, shape, or form, and I promise that's not planned, it just happens. A person that Christina did not like was Axel. She thought Axel was stupid, but Christina was the type of person that believed that they were always the smartest person in the room, even when she wasn't. She would like things just because Axel didn't like them. Like, Axel hated the French, so Christina loved the French. She was the kind of person that would say white just because you said black. Probably the only thing that she agreed with Axel on is when he said that Christina was, quote, not at all like a female, end quote. She would have liked that a lot since she did have such a strong hatred for females. One of the reasons why she wasn't like females of her time was because her father had insisted that she be educated like a boy would have been. She had lessons in religion, philosophy, and politics. She could speak Swedish, German, Greek, Latin, Dutch, Danish, French, Italian, Arabic, and Hebrew. In 1644, Christina was declared an adult, but her coronation had to be postponed due to the Torstensen War. The Torstensen War was between Sweden and Denmark-Norway. It went from 1643 to 1645. Sweden was doing well in the Thirty Years' War. Denmark had been out of the Thirty Years' War since 1629, but they were close to each other, so Sweden felt like they needed to invade Denmark. The Sound Dews also contributed to the war. If you remember, I covered the Sound Dews in the Erica Pomerania episode last season. Sweden ended up winning the war. On August 13, 1645, because they won the war, Sweden was exempt from the sound dues, so they didn't have to pay the toll for passing through the Danish territory into the Baltic Sea. Also, in 1644, Christina became really ill, and after that, she recovered, but she got the measles. But then she also recovered from that. And you will find that her getting sick is going to be a recurring theme. So I told you that Christina hated Axel and disagreed with him a lot. In 1645, Axel sent his son Johann to the peace conference to argue against the Holy Roman Empire. Christina sent her own delegate, Johann Alder Salvius, to argue the exact opposite because she wanted to end the Thirty Years' War. While he was there, her delegate started a rumor that she was going to marry Axel's younger son, Eric. Who knows why he started this rumor? Violence broke out. Word got back to Christina, and Christina freaked out, so Axel told Eric to go find a wife to calm Christina down. 
The Peace of Westphalia was signed between May and October of 1648. And that ended all of the religious wars that were going on in Europe at the time, including the Thirty Years' War. Another thing that Christina hated was marriage. She wrote in her autobiography that she had a, quote, insurmountable distaste for marriage, end quote. So this was probably why she liked Queen Elizabeth I so much. She probably looked up to Elizabeth in that regard. Christina had an interest in celibacy even from a young age, so it is possible that she may have been asexual. I will say Christina is the trickiest one so far this season to determine their sex and gender identity. She's not as easy as King James VI and I or King Edward II. A lot of it is hard to determine because was that Christina being who she really was? Did she do that because she was raised like a boy? Or was she doing that just to shock people? You will understand that in a little bit. Or was it some combination? Christina hated the idea of marriage so much that she tried to make it seem in her autobiography that her father didn't want her to get married. But that was not the case. It was the exact opposite, in fact. Before he died, he was trying to arrange a marriage between Christina and her cousin, Frederick William, her mother's nephew. This never happened because of the fact that Sweden and Germany were on opposite sides of the Thirty Years' War. So Germany didn't agree to this match because they didn't know if Sweden and Germany could get along. There was also talk of her also being married to Archduke. Ulrich. He was the son of King Christian IV of Denmark, and Christina's mother really liked this match because she believed that Christina should be married to royalty, but nothing ever came of this. Now, just because Christina didn't want to get married didn't mean that she didn't have her favorites and crushes because she did. A favorite and crush of hers was Magnus Gabriel de la Garde. He was well-educated, cultured, French, and a distant cousin of Christina's. But he fell in love with Christina's cousin, Maria Ephrosyne of Spicenbergen. He got engaged to Christina's cousin, and Christina even had arranged for their wedding to be at the royal palace. But Christina also gave Magnus a job. It was ambassador extraordinary to France. This was a fake job. And she gave it to him because she was upset that he fell in love with her cousin and she wanted him to leave town. Magnus had gifted Christina a throne of sterling silver before her coronation. At her coronation, which took place on October 22nd, 1650, Magnus carried the royal banner. To her coronation, she took a carriage that was draped in black velvet, embroidered in gold, and pulled by three white horses. She wore purple velvet robe that was also embroidered in gold, and when they needed money, they would melt down gold from that robe. Fountains at the marketplace splashed out wine for three days. A whole roast ox was served, and there was a parade on October 24th. 
After Magnus got married, Christina made him part of her privy council. In 1651, he was appointed Marshal of the Realm. In 1652, he became Lord High Treasurer. He fell out of favor in 1653, though, and he spent some time in exile. Before her coronation, Christina's mother returned to Sweden in 1648. Her mother even attended Christina's coronation. When Maria Eleanor returned to Sweden, her ship was delayed due to a storm. Christina went to go greet her mother's ship, and she waited for the delayed ship, sleeping in the open night air for two nights. Because of this, Christina caught a fever. Christina bought her mother a castle, and this would have been very costly, but Christina never paid for it, and she gave it back in 1652. Magnus wasn't Christina's only love interest. Her first cousin, Carl Charles Gustavus, was in love with her. They wrote love letters to each other. They had to sneak around because Axel didn't like him, which is probably why Christina liked him. They became secretly engaged in 1642. I put engaged in quotation marks because I have my doubts if Christina was ever really serious about the engagement. She made Carl commander-in-chief and told him that she would tell him if she was going to marry him in five years. So he went off and served in the Swedish army. Another love interest may have been Eva Spara. Eva was one of Christina's ladies-in-waiting. Because Christina was so obsessed with French culture, she called Eva Belle. Christina and Eva were known to share Christina's bed, but this doesn't mean anything for sure because for this time, it was a common thing to do because it is so cold in Sweden. And during this time, Europe was going through what is called a Little Ice Age. But Christina and Eva could have been lovers. We know at the very least, Christina wanted people to believe that her and Eva were lovers. She told people that Eva's insides were as beautiful as her outside, and this shocked people. She wrote letters to Eva telling her that she would always love her. But this was quite normal for Christina to do this. She would say that in letters to women that she had never met before, but whose writings she admired. So you can see what I mean when I say figuring out Christina is challenging. I think she probably for sure was asexual. And I believe that we have enough information to say that she was not a romantic. Now, if you were thinking, okay, so she clearly had some feelings for Eva, then surely she at least treated her decent. If you thought this, then you don't know Christina. She also treated Eva like garbage, like she treated everyone else. There was this time that Christina and Eva came across a guy reading a book. Christina knew that the book was erotic, but Eva didn't. Christina had Eva read the book out loud, and when Eva figured out that it was an erotic book, she was embarrassed. And that was Christina's goal. So, I have mentioned that Christina did not like Axel. I think we've already established that. Christina did everything that she could to shit on Axel's day. Eva was once engaged to Bent Gobbleson Oxenhanna. He was a relative of Axel's. 
Christina made Eva break off her engagement to him and marry Magnus's little brother, Jacob. And they were not a happy couple. It was rumored at Eva and Jacob's wedding that Christina made everyone strip nude and dance or have an orgy. So, I have established that Christina of Sweden was a shitty person. I think we can pretty much all agree to that by now. So, was she at least a good king? Well, no. She really didn't want to be king. She was terrible with money, which so far has been a theme this season, at least with all the royals that I've covered. Which, Christina is the last royal that I'm going to cover this season. But, to be a little fair to Christina, Sweden was in debt when she became king. Christina's father wanted to advance Sweden, so he had things like schools, hospitals, and things like that built, which cost money. But Christina was horrible with money, and she had a hard time understanding what was hers and what was Sweden's. So sometimes she would give people money or gifts that belonged to Sweden and not her. She did try to fix Sweden's money problems. She started selling titles. When there was no more titles to be bought, she just created new ones. By the end, the number of earls was increased sevenfold, the number of barons went from 9 to 41, and the number of noble families tripled. Not all of these people were Swedish. With these titles came land, and they had a hard time keeping up because so many people were buying titles that sometimes land accidentally got sold twice. One time, someone got land that didn't actually exist. This may have sounded like a good plan, but the only thing that it did was cause more money problems for Sweden because nobles didn't pay taxes. So now Sweden was getting less taxes. To help with the money issues, Sweden was also involved in the slave trade. They weren't as involved as some other countries, but they did have a hand in it. Things like this is why I said I don't agree with everything that Christina did. It's stuff like this and, you know, forcing Eva to marry someone else and other things, some of which we have not gotten to yet. Christina was doing a horrible job at being king, and that was basically the opinion of everyone. I actually couldn't find anyone saying that she was a good king, but, you know, there's always that one person that supports the ruler no matter how shitty they are. What I did find was that there were pamphlets that were made that talked about the terrible job Christina was doing. There was even an attempt on her life. One Sunday, she was kneeling down in the chapel of her castle, and a man with two daggers slipped through the congregation, heading straight for Christina. There were two guards standing ahead of her with spears and battle axes, but they could not stop him. The would-be assassin snapped one of their spears in half and knocked them to the ground. Their captain, that was actually standing next to them, didn't even notice what the hell was going on until he was shoved. And then the captain captured the guy... The failed assassin was found to be insane, and he was sent to a madhouse. So, what was Christina like as a person? Well, like I said, I think I've already established that she was a shitty person, but 
what were some of her personality traits? I'm sure you have got an idea of what she was like, at least a little bit. Christina always believed that she was the smartest person in the room, like I said earlier. And I'm not saying that she wasn't real educated because she was. I've already covered that she was. But no one is always going to be the smartest person in the room. But if Christina was still alive today, she would disagree with that statement. Well, at least when it came to her. Christina didn't like to admit when she was wrong. There was this one guy named Mark Duncan. He was French. Axel hated him, so Christina, of course, loved him. Christina sent Mark to Paris to assist Sweden's minister there, and he just sort of took off. But instead of admitting that she had been wrong about Mark, she just continued to give him money. Christina was her own biggest fan. She really said, quote, To attack me is to attack the sun. End quote. Everyone should find someone that loves them as much as Christina loved herself. Christina also loved to read and ride horses. She would sometimes study 10 hours a day. She only slept about 3 to 4 hours a night so she could devote more time to studying. She didn't bother with brushing her hair because that would take time away from studying. So, permanent bed hair became sort of her trademark. You know, Cindy Crawford had her mole before she had it removed, and Taylor Swift has her red lips, and Christina had her unbrushed hair. She would also put on her clothes in a hurry, and she would rock brand shoes because they were convenient. Christina actually hated all things that were deemed female, including other females. She was also sick a lot. There was one time that it was believed that she had malaria. It sounds like she had anxiety. And of course, her stressful job made everything worse. Christina didn't drink alcohol. And I know that I've already told you this, that she hated Axel. But she really turned that into a personality trait. When Axel's wife died in 1649, Christina did not attend the funeral. She claimed that she was sick. She was like, <clears throat> oh, I'm sick. I can't come. Which you would think may have actually been true because she was sick all of the time. But the next day, she was magically all better. Christina was also really fickle. At first, she was against Oliver Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell was the guy that replaced King Charles I in England after King Charles I was beheaded. But when Oliver Cromwell officially took power, Christina was the first one to welcome him. And Oliver Cromwell gaining power sort of helped her out in a roundabout way. Christina wanted to name her cousin and person that was absolutely obsessed with her, Carl, as her heir. And Parliament was sort of confused. They were like, oh, so you are marrying him? And she was like, no, don't be stupid. I am never going to get married to anyone. I just want this person that is four years older than me to be my heir. They told her no. Then after King Charles I, which was the son of King James VI and I, you know, the person that the last four episodes of History Show were about, after he was executed, Charles, not James, and Oliver Cromwell replaced him, 
Parliament was shocked and they thought it would be a good idea to have a backup plan in case someone decided to execute Christina. Which, you know, given what we know, I, I can see why there was cause for worry. So, Parliament agreed to make Carl her heir. People in Christina's time questioned her gender identity, and I'm not just talking about when she was born. I already told you that Christina hated all things that was deemed female. Christina also walked and talked like a man. She liked to swear a lot, and things like that have led a lot of people to wonder, was Christina a transgender man? Was she non-binary? Was she just a tomboy? Of course, these words weren't around in her time. Or was she doing all of this just to shock people? And we don't know for sure. I told you that Christina was a shitty king, and she was. But Christina did manage to accomplish some things in her life. In 1645... She started a newspaper called Ordinary Post Tea and Deer, which translated means regular mail times, and that newspaper is still going today. It is currently the oldest published newspaper in the world. On January 24th, 1656, she opened an academy in the palace called Academy of Arcadia. There was music, theater, and literature there. In 1653, she founded the Order of Amarante or Amarante Order. This was a fraternal order of Swedish knights. There could only be 15 knights in the order, and because Christina was so obsessed with celibacy, the knights had to remain celibate and unmarried. The order was dissolved in 1656, but it was revived in July of 1760. Prague Castle was plundered during the Thirty Years' War. A lot of books and also paintings and statues were taken back to Christina. She really loved the books, so she became a big fan of plundering. She would send people out to go get her books. She would even send people out to look for specific books she wanted. If they brought back something that she didn't want, she would have them return it. And sometimes she would send people to faraway places, even as far as Egypt. I'm going to stop the episode here. I'm going to need more than one episode to tell Christina's story. I'm not sure how many episodes I'm going to need, but I'm definitely going to need more than one. Find out next week what happened when Christina met Rene Descartes. That's where we'll start off next week. Thank you so much for listening to the ninth episode of the fourth season of History Shelf. I'm going to cover 15 people this season, but... Who knows how many episodes it's going to take. Next week's episode is going to be Queen Christina of Sweden Part 2. I hope you come back for that. A few things before we go. If you want to follow this podcast on social media, the TikTok is at History Shelf. The Twitter is at History Shelf Pod. The Instagram is at History underscore Shelf underscore Pod. And the Facebook page is History Shelf Podcast. 
If you want to help out this podcast financially, there are a few ways you can do that. One is you can buy merch from the History Chef merch store, or you can become a Patreon. This podcast is always going to be free, but there are some perks that come along with becoming a Patreon. The first tier is called History Student, and that is $1 a month. And with that, I will send out a shout out to you on all social media platforms that History Chef is on. And for each episode that I do, I will choose one Patreon at random. And at the end of the episode, I will give that Patreon a shout out. The second tier is called History Fan. And that is $3 a month. And with that, you get the first tier. Plus, you get to vote in a poll that helps me choose a theme for the next season of this podcast. The third tier is called History Buff. And that is $20 a month. And with that, you get the first two tiers. Plus, you will get a handwritten note of thanks mail to you from me. And the last tier is called History Lover, and that is $40 a month. And with that, you get the first three tiers, plus you get to choose one item from the History Chef merch store. You can choose any item that you want, except for the zip of hoodie. You can also take out ad space on this podcast. I have a gig on Fiverr that lets you do that. There's also some affiliated links that you can click on. There's one for Riverside, one for Amazon, and one for Bookshop. If you click on one of those links and you buy something, that helps support the podcast. But if you don't want any of the merch or any of the perks, and you don't want to buy anything, but you still want to help support the podcast, I turned on listener support on Spotify for Podcasters. The links to everything that I just said will be in the show notes for the show. But as always, the best way that you can help support this podcast is to just to continue to listen to it. And there are a few other ways that you can help out this podcast for free. One is if you are listening on a platform that lets you rate this podcast five stars and or leave a positive review. If you do that, that would be very helpful. Also, sharing this podcast on social media with your friends and family would be very helpful. All right. Well, until next time, keep learning, keep loving history, and come back for next week's episode. Bye.